Good morning, everyone. It's uh, lovely you could uh, clear the space. But perhaps let's just spend a few minutes uh, arriving before trying to do anything. Just honoring how we are now. Uh, Watching any impulse to try to get to the place we think we're supposed to be. But to welcome the sounds are like this. Way of honoring the reality, the as-isness of this moment. Letting the sounds, as we're settling, external sounds, internal sounds, Each of them is a, an expression, a manifestation of the true nature of this moment. And within this spaciousness that listens and naturally, automatically, effortlessly notices sound, within that spaciousness there'll be the sense of the body sitting, the pressure on the chair or the cushion, the expansion and contraction of our body breathing, and perhaps consciously reminding ourselves that we're in a relatively safe place with kindred spirits who are interested in this pathway back to peacefulness, to something true. That in a place like this we can breathe in fully, receiving that blessing that's around us in the atmosphere and breathing out slowly, quietly, just letting be consciously softening, relaxing the body, sensing that ground, Mother Earth that's holding us up. So let's just take a few minutes, breathing in, relaxing as we breathe out, listening, receiving how it is, very gently, arriving, On many occasions, when the Buddha was asked uh, what he taught, he said, I I teach just two things, suffering and the ending of suffering. Dukkha could be translated as suffering, but it encompasses the range from what he called dukkha dukkha, just painful situations that are hard to bear. Some sicknesses, hunger, aging, dying process can be painful, not easy to bear. 
being together with what you don't want to be with, or being separated from that which we cherish, a loved one, a circumstance that pleases us. All these are in this realm of dukkha, du, apart from ka, in terms of the etymology of the word ka, akash, the perfect, the spacious, the undivided. Dukkha, it's split. But not only that which is just pain, pain, but also even that which is pleasing. There's the dukkha of it not lasting and the anxiety of not wanting some circumstance, some success, some beautiful moment of ah. And, and it, it melts. Even the, the dukkha in sukkha, the unsatisfactoriness, that, that which can't really totally quenches, that's even at the heart of a, a beautiful moment. But he then uh, summed it all up with the phrase, the focuses of the grasping mind, when the heart wants to try to keep something, as me, as mine, as yes, it's true, that the elusive nature, because of this ephemeral quality of manifestation, gives rise to dukkha. He taught dukkha and the ending of dukkha. His whole quest for awakening was wondering, is there that which is truly peaceful, truly trustworthy, or is it just endless birth and death, happiness, unhappiness? And when he woke up, as I was mentioning last night, he remembered, recognized, like an old forgotten friend, a quality that had been here all along, but which he was overlooking through being enchanted, mesmerized by the appearance of conditions. He taught, your heart is luminous, he said to his disciples. He used the phrase, pabhasara jitta. Jitta, heart, pabhasara, means radiant all around, boundless. He said, the heart is radiant, but we lose touch with this, what he would call the original brightness, because we get fooled, hijacked, mesmerized, confused by what moves through the heart. It's not rejecting what moves through the heart, but fooled, misled, confused. What's moving through the heart now? What's touching our heart? as we begin this, this day, or these days of uh, two days of practice, or whatever time we have available for making effort to align with the way things actually are. 
Notice what's moving through the heart now, the sounds that are touching, dissolving. The light, if our eyes are working, of noticing the shapes and forms as our attention looks around. The smells, the tastes, the sensations, the body, the pulse, the temperature that's shifting, any perceptions about our listening to the heart, uh, New York inside, retreat together. But notice these, these impressions are moving, shifting. When we do not understand, when we get confused by what moves through the heart, the Buddha said, then we lose touch with this ground of awareness. When he was then contemplating, why do we lose touch? What, what are the conditions for this circumstance? The, the root condition is avijja, vijja connected to the word vision, seeing. Avijja means not seeing, ignoring, ignorance or a distorted seeing. Is it this distorted seeing? And that the condition that, uh, that liberates, reveals, revelation is, is illumining, illuminating, casting light on, noticing the nature of this moment. And this moment. And this moment. As we remember, reconnect with this ground of listening. When he was awakened, the Buddha realized his thinking had been confused and that actually the nature of language itself, with all its nouns, concretized the sense of me and you and here and there. That actually even the slightest little mark, each of these thoughts was a mark, a construct. That because of this stable nature of language tend to, to present itself as not just a thought, but as reality. That reality was, was cut up. And the shortest, easiest mark, seemingly most insignificant mark in our language is this little line, I. Little line, I. Yet, if one relates to that mark, which is actually just a momentary impression, I, it's there and dissolves back into listening. Who who is this I? The heart might have a quick answer, me, Dumbo. What do you mean, who is this I? Me. And that too, me, 
resonates and dissolves. But when that I is just assumed, and so often it just seems like it's happening to me, that little I, that boundary, that apartheid of the heart creates a you. In here, out there. And as soon as we have a thing, this is good, this, the fact that in the next moment it shifted, then we have to bring time in to account for that. And I don't have much time. Or God, how long is this going to take? A long time. When is he going to get to the schedule? <laughs> you know, my, my knees, you know, I don't, I don't know how much time they can take. Everything starts, we started getting hemmed in, located, contracted around this condition or that condition. The Buddha realized that this misunderstanding, this relating to thought as if they're truths rather than pointers, perpetuated this what's called conceptual proliferation, this complicating ever-complicating web. After he woke up, the Buddha realized actually this luminous heart is always here and now, always. It's timeless. He had his disciples chant these phrases every day as they were remembering, taking refuge in what's called the Dharma, the way things actually are. That sounds come and go, but the listening, the awareness, that which knows, remains. It's always present. It's not just on a good day. Oh, I don't know. I'm, I, I, you know, I ate too much last night, and I, and I shouldn't have gotten all involved in, you know, <clears throat> looking at the internet. But you know, there were some really important stories, and I, um, maybe if I practice really, really hard today, I can deserve it. To, maybe not tomorrow, but I'll get back there. Timeless, this dharma, even with the conviction, I, uh, I can't do it. The radiant heart is timeless, always here and now. The Buddha said it's ehipasiko, it's always opened-armed inviting us. Our nature is not demanding a special pass. always inviting to be to be tasted, recognized, realized by each individual being in our own heart. So the wrong understanding, the, the Buddha, after his awakening, realized this idea that he was going to get to awakening was, was really wrong. 
It was more arriving where we've always already been, waking up to what's here. It's very powerful. The engine of samsara is this, this imagining we've got to get there, somehow concretizing, reifying the notion that here's a desert. The good stuff can't really be here because, well, that my, you know, my back is so sore and, and that my really petty mind, you know, when I get past that and all this kind of fear and these shameful thoughts, which I know I can overcome it eventually if I just get the right practice. Always here and now. In a famous teaching in the Mahayana text called the Sharangama Sutra, Sharangama means durable, unshakable. It's a word that the Buddha describes, uh, names as the ultimate samadhi, the ultimate gatheredness of heart. The unshakable, durable gatheredness is our nature itself. In this Rangama Sutra, he's talking about the nature of mind. The primary misconception, he says, about the body and mind is the false view that the mind dwells in the physical body. You do not know, he goes on, that the physical body, as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, and the great earth are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. This idea that consciousness somehow is this little byproduct that's located somewhere. He said, that's a misconception. You do not know that the body, this very body sitting here, as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, New York City, traffic, and the great earth are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. He goes on, it is like ignoring hundreds of thousands of clear, pure seas. taking notice of only a single bubble, seeing it as the entire ocean, as the entire expanse of great and small seas. So the Buddha is giving us this image of the vastness of the seas and oceans and being contracted, obsessed with one little bubble and imagining that's That's the whole thing. Taking a bubble to be the whole sea, he's saying, we do not recognize the true heart. So today, just open to the possibility that these sounds, this sense of being in the city, feeling tones in our body, the words of this talk arising and ceasing within this unmoving 
ever-present brightness, this listening. It's not that we have to go somewhere to get it, but to just honor that uh, all these so-called particularities of pleasure and pain and understanding and not understanding are all like waves that keep merging in this depth of the ocean, are like lightning flashes, the Buddha said. We can chase the lightning flashes, but we never catch them. Each sound is uncatchable. But the lightning flashes, if we look a little wider, keep merging in the deep expanse, the unmoving, infinite expanse of the luminous night sky. Getting a feeling for how each sound, each breath, keeps dissolving in this unmoving present. The Saranga Samadhi is, rather than thinking today we have to get to some special state, we'll be encouraging ourselves to also turn the mind, what the Buddha called, turn the mind to the deathless. Let our heart notice what is not coming and going. That dimension that's always here and now, but which we overlook. The first disciple of the Buddha who broke through, who what's called entered the stream and tasted Nibbana, his name was Kandanya, after the Buddha gave that first discourse on the four ennobling truths. By the end of the discourse, uh, the Buddha recognized, he said, Kandanya knows, Kandanya knows. He saw it. Kandanya's Dharma eye, his seeing was unobstructed. It had opened. He had tasted this ground of being. And when the Buddha described what Kandanya knew, you think, oh, it must be some really high, high esoteric teaching. He said, Kandanya knows what arises, ceases. A sound of my voice has the nature to arise and then it dissolves into silence. An in-breath arises and ceases. You might be happy to know, or maybe not, that a Dharma practice days arise and cease. And that deeply comprehending that the truth of that, that little truth is the key. Every sound, every thought, every circumstance arises, shifts, ceases. That recognition leads the heart to hold more loosely a dispassion 
naturally, even a moment of noticing change, the Buddha said, don't underestimate the power of that. Even a moment, a finger snap, he said, has immense power, little by little, to form hairline fractures in this misguided concretization, objectification of things. But even just beginning to notice a little bit of change, a sound we notice dissolves back into silence. The image which came to mind for Kandanya that helped him, he called the guest dust phrase. He said at a hotel, this is a simile, but it helped him understand and we'll be practicing with this today. In a hotel or an inn, the guest comes, spends a while, maybe has a meal, and then leaves. It is the nature of the guest to come and go, but the host remains. The other image, he said, is dust. Kandanya saw a light beam coming through a window or a crack in the wall. And illumined in the light, he could see the dust dancing. It is the nature of dust to dance, illumined in the light. And yet the space was unmoved, undisturbed. That which moves is called the dust or the guest. That which remains untroubled called the host or the spaciousness. In practicing turning our heart, not thinking there's anything to get rid of, but just opening to the possibility of letting all the dust dance. It's stressing ourselves, not wanting the pleasure to move and shift not wanting that which is painful to come. It's a bit like Ajahn Chah would say, it's like standing by a river and arguing with it. Why are you running that way? You should run the other way. Or he said, it's like boxing a tree. He said, you're just going to get hurt, exhausted. Or arguing with a duck, asking it why it's not a chicken. It's the nature, nothing's wrong, the nature of dust to dance, the nature of conditions of mind, of body, these moods, these sensations to shift. And these shameful thoughts where to shift. I know I can overcome it eventually if I just get the right practice. Always here and now. In a famous teaching in the Mahayana text called the Sharangama Sutra. Sharangama means durable, unshakable. It's a word that the Buddha describes 
names as the ultimate samadhi, the ultimate gatheredness of heart, the unshakable, durable gatheredness is our nature itself. In this Rangama Sutra, he's talking about the nature of mind. The primary misconception, he says, about the body and mind is the false view that the mind dwells in the physical body. You do not know, he goes on, that the physical body, as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, and the great earth are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. This idea that consciousness somehow is this little byproduct that's located somewhere. He said, that's a misconception. You do not know that the body, this very body sitting here, as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, New York City, traffic, and the great earth are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. He goes on, it is like ignoring hundreds of thousands of clear, pure seas. Taking notice of only a single bubble, seeing it as the entire ocean, as the entire expanse of great and small seas. So the Buddha is giving us this image of the vastness of the seas and oceans and being contracted, obsessed with one little bubble and imagining that's, that's the whole thing. Taking a bubble to be the whole sea, he's saying we do not recognize the true heart. So today, just open to the possibility that these sounds, this sense of being in the city, feeling tones in our body, the words of this talk, arising and unceasing within this unmoving, ever-present, brightness, this listening. It's not that we have to go somewhere to get it, but to just honor that uh, all these so-called particularities of pleasure and pain and understanding and not understanding are all like waves that keep merging in this depth of the ocean are like lightning flashes, the Buddha said. We can chase the lightning flashes, but we never catch them. Each sound is uncatchable. But the lightning flashes, if we look a little wider, keep merging in the deep expanse, the unmoving, infinite expanse of the luminous night sky. getting a feeling for how each 
sound, each breath, keeps dissolving in this unmoving present. The Sarangama Samadhi is, rather than thinking today we have to get to some special state, we'll be encouraging ourselves to also turn the mind, what the Buddha called, turn the mind to the deathless. Let our heart notice what is not coming and going. And these shameful thoughts, which I know I can overcome it eventually, but just get the right practice. Always here and now. In a famous teaching in the Mahayana text called the Sharangama Sutra. Sharangama means durable, unshakable. It's a word that the Buddha describes, uh, names as the ultimate samadhi, the ultimate gatheredness of heart. The unshakable, durable gatheredness is our nature itself. In this Rangama Sutra, he's talking about the nature of mind. The primary misconception, he says, about the body and mind is the false view that the mind dwells in the physical body. You do not know, he goes on, that the physical body, as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, and the great earth are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. This idea that consciousness somehow is this little byproduct that's located somewhere. He said, that's a misconception. You do not know that the body, this very body sitting here, as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, New York City, traffic, and the great earth are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. He goes on, it is like ignoring hundreds of thousands of clear, pure seas. Taking notice of only a single bubble seeing it as the entire ocean, as the entire expanse of great and small seas. So the Buddha is giving us this image of the vastness of the seas and oceans and being contracted, obsessed with one little bubble and imagining that's, that's the whole thing taking a bubble to be the whole sea. He's saying, we do not recognize the true heart. So today, just open to the possibility that these sounds, this sense of being in the city, 
feeling tones in our body, the words of this talk arising and ceasing within this unmoving, ever-present brightness, this listening. It's not that we have to go somewhere to get it, but to just honor that uh, all these so-called particularities of pleasure and pain and understanding and not understanding are all like waves that keep merging in this depth of the ocean, or like lightning flashes, the Buddha said. We can chase the lightning flashes, but we never catch them. Each sound is uncatchable. But the lightning flashes, if we look a little wider, keep merging in the deep expanse, the unmoving, infinite expanse of the luminous night sky. Getting a feeling for how each sound, each breath, keeps dissolving in this unmoving present. The Sarangam Samadhi is, rather than thinking today we have to get to some special state, we'll be encouraging ourselves to also turn the mind, what the Buddha called, turn the mind to the deathless. Let our heart notice what is not coming and going. That dimension that's always here and now, but which we overlook. The first disciple of the Buddha who broke through, who what's called entered the stream and tasted Nibbana. His name was Kandanya, after the Buddha gave that first discourse on the four ennobling truths. By the end of the discourse, uh, the Buddha recognized, he said, Kandanya knows, Kandanya knows. He saw it. Kandanya's Dharma eye, his seeing was unobstructed. It had opened. He had tasted this ground of being. And when the Buddha described what Kandanya knew, you think, oh, it must be some really high, high esoteric teaching. He said, Kandanya knows what arises, ceases. A sound of my voice has the nature to arise and then it dissolves into silence. An in-breath arises and ceases. You might be happy to know, or maybe not, that a dharma practice days arise and cease. And that deeply comprehending that the truth of that, that little truth is the key. Every sound, every thought, 
every circumstance arises, shifts, ceases. That recognition leads the heart to hold more loosely a dispassion, naturally. Even a moment of noticing change. The Buddha said, don't underestimate the power of that. Even a moment, a finger snap, he said, has immense power, little by little, to form hairline fractures in this misguided concretization, objectification of things. But even just beginning to notice a little bit of change, a sound we notice dissolves back into silence. The image which came to mind for Kondanya that helped him, he called the guest dust phrase. He said at a hotel, this is a simile, but it helped him understand and we'll be practicing with this today. In a hotel or an inn, the guest comes, spends a while, maybe has a meal, and then leaves. It is the nature of the guest to come and go, but the host remains. The other image, he said, is dust. Kandanya saw a light beam coming through a window or a crack in the wall. And illumined in the light, he could see the dust dancing. It is the nature of dust to dance, illumined in the light. And yet the space was unmoved, undisturbed. That which moves is called the dust or the guest. That which remains untroubled call the host or the spaciousness. In practicing turning our heart, not thinking there's anything to get rid of, but just opening to the possibility. Of letting all the dust dance, it's stressing ourselves, not wanting the pleasure to move and shift not wanting that which is painful to come. It's a bit like Ajahn Chah would say, it's like standing by a river and arguing with it. Why are you running that way? You should run the other way. Or he said, it's like boxing a tree. He said, you're just going to get hurt, exhausted. Or arguing with a duck, asking it why it's not a chicken. It's the nature, nothing's wrong, the nature of dust to dance, the nature of conditions of mind, of body, these moods, these sensations to shift. So just as space is to form when we're focused, contracted around some form that shouldn't be this way, some mood, some doubt. We take that to be me, this confusion. I can't quite understand it. If he only could talk a little more clearly. 
That bubble we take to be me, our nature, is like taking a bubble to be the whole ocean. And yet the bubble, the dancing dust of a worried mood, is arising and ceasing within a spacious listening. We overlook that space and call it nothing, and yet it's awake. Just as we might overlook the space, uh, this day happens, we can come and go, yet without the space around the forms. There would be no forms. Or the silence around the sound, we're so focused on the words, the meanings, the good, the bad, we don't notice each sound keeps dissolving into a living silence, an awake aware, matrix, ground. So it is said, just as space is to form and silence is to sound, so is awareness to all things, all phenomena. A great awakened being that the, is a Buddha it's called Avalokiteshvara Kuan Yin, the one who listens at ease to the sounds of the world. The name of this day, Listening to the Heart, is a reference to Kuan Yin's meditation, listening, returning everything to this ground of listening turning the heart back to listen in, to give ourselves the chance to notice the brightness, the immeasurable vastness that's always here that we don't notice when we're so worried about, focused on the forms. So we want to start uh, today's uh, practice uh, with a short devotional bowing. For those who want to join in, we'll, we'll, we'll pass out some uh, chanting sheets. It's a short mantra, namo, which means I return my life. The engine of samsara is this unconscious grasping, clinging onto a form, a sound, a thought, a circumstance, and taking it to be me taking that bubble to be me and not realizing this ocean of consciousness, of awareness, that that form is vibrating within. So namo means I return, I relax. Into what? Namo kuan shiryin pusa. Kuan yin is the great awakened being, the merciful one who responds to prayers and listens at ease. It's another way of talking about this part of our being that's always listening. This place where all forms merge. In the bowing practice, rather than bowing, attributing some power to the image somewhere else, the image is a symbol the image of 
the Buddha, the awakened one, or Kuan Yin, or the Parajnaparamita, the lovely image on this shrine with the Buddha, are symbols reminding us of this timeless, radiant, peaceful brightness that's always here that we overlook. When we do a bowing practice, it's to find the dimensions of our being, our body, and depending on our, I'll show we can do a bow, a full bow, but if, if because of a headache or a bodily situation, we might just want to do a half bow. Or if we're not so sure about the practice, we can just listen. But it's to find our body and the thought, that dimension of our being we get so caught up in. The cognitive can use the thought Namo Kwancha Yenpusa, the, the mantra, I return to that one who listens. Pusa is short for Bodhisattva, the awakened being. And we, we take the feeling of the body and the thought and just touch the ground with the head or do a half bow as a way of letting go and relaxing into this ground that supports us. Just as Mother Earth, all the different trees, the big ones, the small ones, the mighty oaks, the delicate silver birches, the old, the young, the flowers, all the forms, the branches, leaves, they drop, they go back into the earth where all of them merge. All that grows merges in the earth. It's a symbol, but when we bow and let go into this ground, we let go into the true ground is the ground of listening. That place where all sounds, all thoughts, all our experience keeps arising and dissolving. So this morning we'll have a chance to, to practice widening our, with a kind and patient awareness, just how we're feeling. Whether it's fatigue or stress or peace, to find our body and a thought and practice relaxing and getting the feeling of returning to that consciousness of the earth that supports us. And as we relax and let go, to rest in that ever-present listening, awareness, what the Buddha called the timeless, original brightness of being. In our bowing practice, we'll hold the mantra, uh, which we'll uh, pass out. There's almost enough copies uh, for everyone, but we, a few people might have to share. But uh, the room will hold the mantra together once. It's an elaborate mantra from a Chinese monastic tradition. There's high notes and low notes. We have a CD, Tanisha and I, made that, that will play to help us hold the mantra. 
high notes and low notes, it's all our being, every dimension of our being, we're returning to this ground of listening. And after we've held the mantra once together, then my side of the room will bow, while Tanisra's side of the room will uh, keep standing up, holding the mantra. And then when uh, that round of the mantra finishes, her side will bow, mine side will stand up, keep going. And when I ring the bell, whichever side of the room is bowing will know, ah, that's just the last bow. And when that mantra is finished, they'll stand up and we'll all hold the mantra once together. And so we'll, we'll chant. Um, for about uh, 10 minutes or so uh, together as a way of just making a sound, listening in, honoring the way things are, especially this ground of awareness. The mantra is on page four. Listening is considered a wonderful Dharma door. It was Kuan Yin's preferred method of awakening that the Buddha praised as a wonderful gateway. The gate of the ear, listening to the sounds. Because wherever we are, a sound, the wonderful thing about sound is sound reveals its impermanent nature very quickly. Each sound can be like a a taxi. As we notice it dissolve, it takes us back to listening, honoring the spaces between the sounds. The second mantra on uh, page four is Namo Kwan Shri Yin Pusa. I return to the awakened one who listens at ease to the sounds of the world. Thank uh-huh. you.
meditation master Ajahn Chah would often say we don't practice to get things but to let go to, to practice with the mind and the heart that relinquishes that in Pali's Patinisaga which is a word from the um, sutta on Anapanasati mindfulness of breath which means to give back to relinquish, to give back which, that which is, was never ours in the first place, which is everything. It's on temporary loan. So we can do a, a period of practice, focusing in and connecting uh, with this, uh, this contemplation of re- giving back, relinquishing, or another way that he said this when he walked with his disciples and came across... Um, some boulders and said are those boulders heavy and they said yeah they're really heavy they're big they're heavy and he said well they're not if you don't pick them up so another way we can look at this relinquishing or giving back is recognizing that we we pick up boulders along the way and they get very heavy things that have happened in the past things that we think we own the struggles that we that we take on And it's not that we shouldn't pick up things or that uh, we um, don't have the responsibility to have a skillful relationship with the things of this world and within the relational field itself, but there's a way of picking up that can be uh, more lightly held. 
But first, it's also important to know that we can put things down. We don't have to always carry around that which is heavy and which we don't need right now. So the skill, one of the skills of meditation is learning just to put things down, to come back to this original resting, this original ground of presence and awareness, resting back in the utter simplicity of that, the utter simplicity of being here with something like our breathing, the sensations of our body, the experience of phenomena as it arises and passes within the field of our attention. So as we know, when we begin a period of of sitting is uh, to find a, a posture that you feel comfortable with and you can change the posture if uh, if need be, so you don't generate a lot of uh, stress within the body. So one wants the body to, to have a certain amount of ease and openness within it. So to help that happen, you can uh, feel the sitting on the cushion or on your chair. And as you feel into your posture, just be aware of the spine and perhaps sensing or connecting with a subtle sense of lengthening through the spine into the back of the neck. And the chin maybe just uh, subtly resting downward to help lengthen the back of the neck and the spine. And allowing your hands, your palms just to be in your lap or on your knees. And feeling in this posture the opening through the chest area and then softening down through the torso into the belly. The establishment of presence and the awareness, the Buddha encourages to begin by firstly taking our attention away from the distress or the disappointment or the hankering for the world. Just to leave that be for now, we can return to that, hopefully with more capacity. Just to let things be for now by replacing the tendency to keep going to the place of worry or concern or figuring it out, replacing that with gentle, kindly, patient attention to the very simple experience of our embodied awareness. Feeling the physicality of our body, the sensations of our body, the pressure of sitting on the mat or the cushion, and firstly orientating our attention around that sensation, particularly the pressure of sitting, the stronger sensation, allowing ourselves to feel that sensation without much complexity. And allowing that sensation to draw the sense of being more grounded, moving more into the body, particularly dropping down more into the belly area, 
And perhaps to help us do that, taking a deep, slow inhalation and feeling that breath energy fill the whole body as we inhale, suffusing the inhalation through the body subtly, energizing the body subtly, and then on the exhalation, softening around the jaw, the shoulders, and down through the torso, softening the belly, down through the arms, palms of the hands, legs, and soles of the feet. So we can take a few breaths like that, if it's helpful, slow, deliberate, fuller breaths into the physical form of our body. And maybe even at the end of the inhalation, hold for a moment to feel that breath energy suffusing through the whole body and then on the out-breath, releasing and relaxing, helping to de-stress what is held in the body to soften around constriction few breaths like that. And with each inhalation, a subtle encouragement to just allow for a sense of being here as fully as we can. Just accepting and allowing ourselves to arrive more fully into our body and our breath and our awareness. And at the same time, on the out-breath, releasing and letting go of this feeling, this underlying agitation of moving on to the next thing. Just working, allowing the breath to help us with this, arriving more fully as we breathe in, feeling the nourishment and life-giving energy of the breath. And then this exhalation is a natural letting go and giving back. Arriving and letting go, letting go and arriving. Steadying, grounding, being. The breath might then come to its own natural rhythm or you might from time to time increase the lengthening and deepening of the breath just for the sake of gathering and feeling that breath energy suffuse through the brain and the torso and through down the pelvic area, the belly, the legs, arms. The body enjoys that. Anything that arises can just touch that with awareness and with a container of the meditation of don't have to go there right now, can go there later, worry about this or that, but instead returning to the fullness of being here, very simple way. And giving perhaps a bit more attention to the feeling of the actual sensations of the pathway of the breath as it enters and leaves the body, the arising and falling, 
of the breath. Feeling the sensation of that pathway within the body and using that sensation to steady around, to simplify around, to let go around. You might feel drawn to just steady attention or the attention might just be drawn to rest in a particular area of sensation within the body. Perhaps around the rising and falling of the breath, it can be around the heart or the belly area, sometimes it can even be at the nostrils or it can be within the torso or maybe just the sensation of sitting and the pressure of that, but wherever you might feel naturally drawn. You can just rest your attention there if that is possible for you. Otherwise, it doesn't matter at all. One can just generally stay with the overall experience of the body breathing and feeling the whole pathway of the breath. The Buddha further encouraged in the stages of establishing mindfulness, withdrawing attention, placing mindfulness and awareness as primary within our experience here and now, and breathing in, breathing out, experiencing the body, breathing in, breathing out, calming bodily formation mental formation, emotional formation. Breathing in, breathing out, experiencing, calming, soothing, steadying, arriving. Using experience of the phenomena of body and breath, sensation, For steadying, we can also notice awareness, that which is aware of experience. This awareness is receptive, not necessarily located within or without, or as having a particular form or boundary. We can just say this awareness is, is here, present, and has a quality of knowingness. Just buddhi, to know, to know to be aware. You can feel this awareness, rest in this awareness, opening into awareness. Within awareness, within the field of awareness is the sensation of body that we can experience interiorly as without necessarily having the definitions that we associate when we see body externally. It's felt differently internally as flow and pressure, sensation, heaviness, lightness, 
You can know the points of contact of sensation, experience a body arising and passing within the field of awareness. Like points of contact in the night sky, momentary seeing of stars twinkling, momentary knowing, point of sensation, pressure, feeling tone, flow. Within the field of awareness, knowing of sounds, sound, touching, touching awareness, rising there, dissolving, like points of light flickering in the field of our awareness. Just allowing the awareness to be open and to notice points of experience, sound, feeling tone, sensation, image, thought, touching, arising, dissolving within this fundamental listening, presence, knowingness of the aware heart. Not having to go toward experience, not having to move away. Just is as it is. It's taking also a moment to look at that which is aware. Can you find a location or a place? Can you see awareness as something? It is said that while everything we can know as phenomena, as experience, as sensation is an object of our awareness, awareness itself is profound subjectivity, resting in the ground of being, here and now. This the Buddha called tata, suchness, gata, suchness within movement, movement within suchness, time within timelessness, timelessness within time, space within form, form within space, silence within sound, sound within silence. Steadying within the breath, feeding the ground of the body, sensation pressing on the seat, 
May all that we are with has experienced, may all be well touched through our awareness, loving awareness, patient awareness, non-contentious awareness, particularly this body and this being and the structures of what we call ourself. It's a kindness and compassion to ourself. The conduit through which time and timelessness is negotiated. Space and form. The mystery and the complexity of the 10,000 things. In compassion for the structures of self that facilitates our passage through life. May I be well and may each of us be truly well. minutes silently to have a stretch break and then we're just going to do some very simple qigong mindful movement to help ground um, into the body help release some of the stress that we carry and help open the body um, which supports the meditation practice the buddha taught that his uh this activity, what could be called the path, even though it's a path sounds like we're going from here to somewhere else, it's just a way of talking, he realized actually 
the movement is not to somewhere else, it's more and more to where we've always already been. It's a movement more and more here. So this path that leads to awakening, this kind of activity, he, he talked about it as threefold. There's an a aspect of the path uh, that is our ethical, using mindfulness to oversee the way in which we speak and, and act. We call ethics. It's a foundation of the path. And then that, little by little, frees us from remorse and little by little leads to what's called samadhi, or a unification, what we call the realm of meditation, of bringing the different dimensions of our being from being fragmented to being more and more unified here. He talked about this as, as learning to cultivate a pleasant abiding in the here and now, relatively speaking, that doesn't hurt anybody. It's not demanding some special circumstance, but as we deepen our capacity our skill in meditation, tuning our being, learning to bring the thinking mind and the body all back within awareness, where it is, but it, we forget that when we get so lost in our thoughts, we lose track of the body. And our emotions, we keep them in the back room till they kind of burst out and knock us this way and that. So meditation, we're learning to bring the dimensions of our being consciously back here. Qigong, means to work with our energy. It's a Chinese phrase, which, which is learning to tune our energy. So really it's another way of talking about samadhi. Learning to, little by little, skillfully tune our energy so that it's not too frazzled, not too sluggish, but learning how to, little by little, recover and restore a more whole and pleasing abiding in the here and now that doesn't just chew up the planet that is, that is uh, rooted in listening, balance, breathing. So first, just noticing we have a body. What happens if our ordinary awareness that is scattered is just turning to this moment, noticing that our body is touching the ground. If our weight shifts to the right foot, pouring into the left foot, and we can consciously link this little body with our earth body. With, this body is just made up of the elements that go back to the earth. Left, right, aligning so that the left and right pressure is balanced. And balanced between the heels and the toes. So that the feet are consciously touching ground, knees slightly bent over feet, hips over knees, shoulders over hips, chin tucked in just a little so that our neck is not bent, so that the neck can be an extension of what it is, an extension of the spine. Standing like a tree that, as we relax with each out-breath, sensing through that axis down into the ground, and as if our crown is gently being suspended up into the heavens. Each out-breath we let go little by little of any stress and just is it possible to enjoy a moment standing awake within this stillness of standing there's still the movement of sound and thought and sensation movement within the stillness just like the dust dancing doesn't disturb the space the living stillness of awareness doesn't have to be disturbed by sound 
and feel. If our weight just shifts to the right foot as the left hand comes toward the right foot, shifts to the right foot as the left hand comes toward the left foot. So as we shift weight to a foot, the opposite hand moves toward it. It can be a very gentle movement. It's called harvesting the chi. It can be the most subtle, subtle movement, just getting the miracle of the body moving. The brain doesn't think and figure out how the body balances and moves. The body has an intelligence within it. The ability of the body just to move and balance as we're with sensitive hands gathering this energy back into the belly, back into this centrality. Letting the breathing be more full, just harvesting the vitality back into the moment, getting a feeling of the sensations of the feet and the hands. Is it aware, possible to be aware of the whole body within one awareness? Just pausing for a moment. With just soft, soft fists, with the thumb inside the fist, and just inviting, coaxing our body into consciousness, waking the body up, gentle taps on the skull, on the sinus, it's very gentle, gentle tap, just waking up the body. Up the outsides of your right arm, down the front, including the palm, up the outside, down the front, tapping up the outside of the left arm, down the front. And then up in this trapezius muscle, this place between the shoulder and the neck, a little harder tap on each side. A lot of stress accumulates there. Gently waking up the chest, the sternum, the ribs. But tuning our efforts, not just pounding ourselves so we knock ourselves out, but tuning the effort. We'll sense if it's too light, our body will ask for a little more. Gently, very gently tapping the kidney, adrenal area, just feeling into what, what feels okay for the body. Maybe at the buttocks, you might like a little more of a wake-up call ears. Gently tapping the legs behind the knees, just waking ourselves up. And finally, just warming up the kidneys. A little bouncing, so as we feel aware of the sensations, and then a sawing movement. Uh, down to the coccyx, the sacrum, feeling that sensation, the lower lumbar and the adrenal kidney area. Amount of pressure that feels better than thinking, I've got to suffer. Adjusting the effort so that it feels good for our body. Just warming up an important energy system recognized by the great Qigong masters, those who study our energetic system. That this can get congested when we sit or get too cold. And just, just pausing for a moment. 
And just even noticing what a few minutes aligning and receiving any sensations from the feet, legs, lower back, hands, face. Full breath relaxing on the out breath and sensations like stars in a night sky twinkling, vibrating within the field, the sky-like awareness. Is it possible to enjoy the stillness of standing, just standing, listening, at peace with the movement within the stillness, movement of sound, sensation, movement within stillness, stillness. within movement. Training ourselves, as the Buddha encouraged, to be sensitive to the whole body. And when we coordinate breath and movement, learning to tranquilize, or just relatively calm this body. The new science has realized when undistorted awareness is focused on the bodily sensations, including the major joints, that that sympathetic nervous system, that fight, flight, freeze mechanism that's good for emergencies, but which can just stay supercharged if we're caught up in our head all the time, that that mechanism can discharge when awareness, non-judgmental kind awareness is reunited, connected with sensation. And the parasympathetic, that part of the nervous system that just rest, digest, restores, comes back. The Buddha understood this. But just for a, a few moments, putting weight into that left foot and drawing circle with the other foot. If you lose the balance, just put the foot right back down. Just feeling that right ankle as we turn it drawing a circle with the toes. Change the directions. Can the awareness be humble enough just to notice the sensations in that right ankle? Raising and extending the ankle as we flex the muscle on the shin and the calf. Still with the sensation of that right ankle. And then clenching all the toes and opening them. Clenching, opening, clenching. Can we be aware of just the feet and ankle, and shaking the right foot. Feel it vibrate, the sensations in the foot, the calf, the thigh, up into the pelvic area. And just letting weight pour into that right foot. Feel the intelligence activate as it supports our body. Just gently lift up that left one. The body's awake, aware, and then drawing circles with that left ankle. Training the awareness to leave solving all the world's problems for a moment. Can, can we be with an ankle? Oh, I don't know, the ankle's so unimportant. Let that thought go. Just be with that left ankle. Changing the direction. 
relaxing the face, being here, raising and extending the ankles. We stay with just that simple sensation. And clenching and opening the toes. So we really, important energy currents go through the toes and fingers, the meridians. And just shaking that left foot. Feel the calf, the knee, the thigh, and buttocks vibrating. And pausing, receiving into awareness the sensations, the feeling body, or what could be called the breath or energy body, the feet. Pressure touching ground, legs. Just kindly touching our knees, letting the knees go forward and then go apart and back so that they circle just for a few minutes. Just can the awareness receive, honor the knees. The few as we lubricate, changing the direction, we stay with the simple sensation. Feet coming closer together as the knees make circles together, clockwise a few times, counterclockwise a few times. Aware of feet and knees as we stand, connected to ground that supports us. Consciously, a few circles with the hips feeling into any tender places and rather than just bulldozing, crushing through them. Just negotiating any kinks, gently. So tuning our movement, tuning our effort to what feels good for our body. So we're just warming up and sensing how the different parts of the body actually connect to each other, changing the direction. Just letting awareness be with the hips, this important connection between the upper and the lower body, and pausing, receiving any sensations in the hips as we breathe in and out, knees, feet. Is it possible to enjoy just standing? Balance. Breathing in, backs of the hands touching as the arms raise up, out, palms down. In and out, in our own time, as we coordinate, synchronize breath and movement. What feels good to us, faster or slower? Tranquilizing the nervous system as we coordinate breath and movement, feeling into any kinks in the shoulders, upper back, where we seem to carry, store up the tension or the sense of burden of life. Breathing into the center, breathing out, we change direction as the hands go down and up. Again, 
Letting the body feel into any tight place. As we're aware of. Drinking in that vitalizing in-breath. Letting it move the body on the out-breath. And then breathing in with the palms up, moving away from us, and as we breathe out, the sense of doing the breaststroke through vast space, in and out. Again, letting that exertion and relaxation free up any knots in the armpit, up the back, shoulder, Changing the direction one more time, breathing in, palms up, with the hands moving toward the sides of the body, brushing the sides of the body, then breathing out, the hands go forward. Doesn't have to be perfect movement, just really freeing up, waking up, shoulders. And just letting that movement subside. <coughs> Again, going to this mother posture, feet parallel, shoulder width apart, standing like a mountain or like a tree, receiving any sensations from that movement in the shoulders. As we breathe in, steadying the attention on those sensations, breathing out, widening the awareness to include the feet, the hands, whole body. The body is suspended, embraced by awareness. Each out-breath relaxing so that the different sensations mix and mingle with each other. Opening and closing the hand, stimulating these meridians that feed all the major organs that run through the fingers, wrists, toes and ankles, just feeling all the fingers and the miracle of the movement just from thought and shaking. But just check if it's okay to shake, how much pressure to put, open, close, shake, let the elbows wake up a little, and pausing. Breathing in and out, aware of the hands, vibrating, pulsing. Aware of the hands and feet within one lens, one frame of awareness. Can we be aware of the whole body as we breathe in and out? Turning the head to the right, turning the head to the left, feeling into that complex joint between head and heart. Just sensing any tender places, adjusting our effort. Turning the head to the right and then rolling the head down, chin towards sternum, back to the left. Just letting the head roll side to side in a way that helps 
free of any congestion. Loosening the jaw, open, closing, not worrying if we make an ugly face. Nobody cares. Letting the face enjoy being what it is rather than judging, oh God, my face. The tongue, as we breathe out, letting the eyes clench, as we breathe out any fatigue from the eyes and breathing in, relaxing the eyes. For a few breaths, breathing with the eyes relaxed, breathing in fully into the eyes and breathing out as they clench together and squeeze out any distress and tiredness, relaxing as we breathe in. Breathing in a full breath, holding the breath and clenching, tightening every muscle in the body. And letting go. When you're ready, one more deep in breath, holding the breath and tightening every muscle in the body. And letting go. And one last time, one more deep in breath. Tightening, holding, consciously tense, and then release. Just noticing what does even 10 minutes of just noticing, receiving from the ground, soles of the feet up to the crown, the different joints. Is it possible just to enjoy a moment of just standing awake? The awareness enjoys being steadied on the sensations of the body. The body enjoys being embraced by awareness. Body-mind connected, unified. Just warming up and just one very simple Qigong movement. That was just warming up. We're going to be stepping out with the right foot out into a lifeboat as we glide out into a wide river. Two-thirds of the weight's on that front foot, knees slightly bent. The back heel is lifted up, we're upright, we're balanced, enjoying being in this calm river as we breathe out. Breathing in, very soft fists come up as we breathe in, and then two-thirds of the weight now is on our back foot, knees slightly bent. The front toes are up as the front heel is just touching. We breathe in forward, breathing out, gliding. In our own time, gently ferrying this lifeboat out into the wide river, dissolving heaviness and discouragement, opening up our courage to balance this lone meridian in and out, coordinating breath and movement in our own time. aware of the whole body. Eyes and face relaxed. Hands soft and awake.
drinking in, savoring that in-breath, letting it move through the body on the out-breath as we gently ferry the light boat out into the calm, wide river. Out toward the center, far away from disturbance. On an out-breath, gliding through the water, and on the in-breath, that front foot comes back to join the back foot as the hands raise up. Breathing out, we just let go and surrender to the current. Just standing, listening letting the current of life just flow, resting. Listening at ease to the sounds of the world, awake. Stillness within movement, movement within stillness. Heading home as we breathe in, such soft, gentle fists forming. As the hands raise up as we breathe in, breathing out, stepping out with that other foot as we head home. Leaving aside longing and distress, reference to the world and restoring Staying with sensation and breath, gently ferrying the light boat. Approaching the shore, the bank, on an out breath, gliding into the sand. And breathing in, that front foot comes back to join the back foot as the hands raise up. And breathing out, just letting go, relinquishing from the crown of the head down to the soles of the feet, any stress, just letting go, letting it flow into the river. And stepping onto the ground and just standing, awake, balanced. Just finishing this just very short session by just feeling the hands, the warmth, the chi in the hands. And is it possible to touch this body with kindness? And the thought, may I be well? And giving attention to anywhere that needs attention. Especially re releasing the lower back if it's a little compressed from the movement, anywhere that needs attention. And with our quality of presence, let's just return to the stillness of sitting. Wondering, is it possible to enjoy just sitting, aware, letting go with each out breath, 
and yet gently embracing being embodied. Letting go with each out breath. One can even whisper inwardly as the breath flows out, just the phrase, let go. And we notice that inner sound appear and dissolve back into the listening. As it encourages the heart to relinquish this fevered grasping. Just letting be, letting go. Resting in this awareness. Patiently, as we let go, feeling the support of the ground of Mother Earth, the pressure of the body being supported, and resting in that ground of listening. Each thought, like let go, or we might prefer a different phrase, Bhutto is popular in Thailand. We use it a lot, it just means awake. Bhut, as we breathe in, to, as we breathe out. Or maybe even a quiet in-breath and an out-breath, Bhutto. Or even just a quiet in, as we breathe in and a quiet out. The word the phrase, the cognitive is present, but it keeps dissolving into the silence. It recognizes, we recognize, it's within this luminous awareness. The thought just keeps helping us remember to return We can hold it lighter and lighter. And if it wants to disappear, that's okay. Practicing, listening at ease to the sounds of the world, embodied, awake. As we approach the ending of our morning's formal practice, Yoniso Manasikara, what the Buddha called wisely reflecting, placing Manasikara, the mind, the activity of mind in the womb, yoni, the womb of awareness. 
Noticing the activity of sound, attention, thought, liking, not liking. All this activity is happening in the matrix, in the sphere of awareness. Noticing this so-called me that we tend to think of as separate entity. But notice this me is blessed with every breath. We don't breathe in, just try on. I don't, I'm independent. Just don't breathe. Who needs breathing? Then you start to notice an uncomfortable feeling in every cell. God, what's that? And then one breathes a full breath. <coughs> and you can feel that vitality flushing through the body. Yoniso manasikara, reflecting, ah, this so-called me is continually supported, nourished by breath. We're surrounded by an ocean if we look after it, of vitality that we can breathe in. And what we breathe out, the trees breathe in. What the trees breathe out, we breathe in. Do we, can we have a moment of appreciating that we, this environment is our home, it nourishes us. Do we look after it? And water, this life of ours needs water and food as we approach the meal. Can we reflect that what we're taking literally into the body, if we eat something, carries the blessing, the energy of the sun, the wind, the rain, Mother Earth, the farmers, cultivating, harvesting, those who prepare the food, that gift powers us. The food gives up its form, that we may be this so-called form, which is not really a thing, it's continually, dynamically being sustained. With each breath, in and out. And as we remember, reconnect, this process is happening within this ground of listening, which the saints and sages say is the same ground, the one source, where all phenomena, all beings merge. So finishing this morning's formal practice with a gift, the wish may our efforts not only bless this body and mind, but may it bless all those around us, human, non-human, all forms, Mother Earth that supports us. May all beings be well 
May Mother Earth be well, and we appreciate her gift. Rather than imagining we just own stuff that we can do anything we want with. Finishing with a prayer carried by the ancient mantra, Om Mani Padme Hum. It's mantra number five. On the mantra page, page four, if you don't know it, it just sounds from Sanskrit, honoring the universe. The universe of form and the universe of spirit, Om. It's the totality. Mani means that jewel, that luminous jewel of the heart, that original brightness that the Buddha and the saints and sages realize has all the treasures of wisdom and compassion within it. Padme is the lotus, the thousand-petaled lotus of all the manifestations of hot and cold and night and day and all the multitude of gradations within the polarities of life, success and failure, desire and aversion, all perfectly manifesting within this unmoving brightness. Whom means amen, so be it. May all beings wake up to our mysterious interwoven nature, merging in this one ground, one home.
We have about 15 minutes before we break for lunch, just a chance to check how you're doing, if there's any reflections on how you're doing that you want to share, it'd be lovely, or any questions about what we've been encouraging from the teachings of the Buddha. Just uh, something for us to collectively consider. Uh, now we have some time for that, if, if that'd be helpful. Does it feel good to stop? It certainly feels good for me. To stop running around like a crazy person. Thank you. Um, you mentioning stopping feels good to stop running around like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. I, that's true. And what's also happening for me, though, which has been happening recently in general, is just whenever I stop, I have all these very challenging emotions coming mm-hmm. up. So it's actually pretty uncomfortable in a way. Yeah. So. yeah. No, thank you for the orphans of consciousness, as our teacher called them, or that which is undigested, uh, appears. We think we can outrun it, you know, because, oh, that doesn't feel good. So the escape is moving to something else. That might be a short-term solution, but basically long-term we become afraid of our own source, our own stillness. So this... this, uh, The encouragement is that just as the dust dancing, that's what dust does, the mind goes through all different sorts of things. If we add to the uncomfortableness a sense of, oh, it shouldn't be that way, oh, it must must not be working, you know, I... um, Kitty Saran Tanisra, bless their hearts, they're, they're all right, but, you know, maybe that method is... There must be a better method. You know, we can do like that, but what if we just open to the storm? If you try to rake leaves in a storm, you can do put a lot of effort in, but the storm's just blowing. Sometimes you can just put the rake down and, and appreciate the storm. So sometimes in the motions doing all this kind of stuff, it's just like the dust storm. And yet, can we also notice that the, the space is not troubled, even for a moment, get the feeling of welcoming. Ah, it's like this now. And it seems so much like me, and I like, I don't like. But to bless that with a moment of, uh, it's like this. And uh, uh, to see if we can just breathe into it, find the body in the midst of it. It, it will be an uncomfortable feeling. and and to try to stay with that and at least get the feeling for not adding what the Buddha called a second arrow. You're already having the pain and we can add a second arrow by thinking it shouldn't be this way. And um, it's challenging and he helped encourage us not to demonize this when people would, by calling it a, a noble truth, 
like when people would come to Ajahn Chah complaining about really struggling and suffering, and he said, what are you complaining about? If it was a bad thing, would the Buddha call it a noble truth? You know, at least you're honest, acknowledging this is difficult, and that when one opens to the moment, there's a possibility of uh, understanding. And there's a, a mysterious alchemy that happens. So, you know, we try as best we can to relax. And if there's that big, uh, big turmoil, I, I would just in, in, encourage you to remind yourself, ah, okay, this has been in the dungeons. And uh, the escape hatch is, is the, the present moment that's willing to bless and say, ah, this is how it is now to breathe with it. Did, did the qigong, did any of the movement uh, affect how uh, the intensity of the feelings? Mm. I'm asking I, I don't think I don't think so, really. Mm. It just, uh, and, um, I think it was soothing, if anything, or mm-hmm. kind of grounding. Mm. But, um, mm. yeah. Yeah, and... You know, which is, is something, even if there can be a little grounding. And when we hear these voices, these emotional voices, I'm, this is just, this is, is terrible. If we can, normally we sow that, you know, bubble in the ocean. That seems like me so much, but if we, this is terrible, and we hear it and feel it, but then notice the space after, that it's a bubble bursting in a measureless listening. Oh, no, you're not hearing me. This is bad. And we, we, it comes again. And then sometimes we get the other voices. Oh, I finally broke through. Golly. They don't understand over there, but I do. I'm right. You hear that? And just, it's patient. Tanisha, do you have some thoughts about that? Well, I think it's an important area because so much of our practice is... Um, we have this unrealistic expectation of what it should be. You know, just uh, sit down, it should all go like bliss and peace, but actually sit down and the space is created for what is there to surface, what, often what we haven't given attention to. So bodily pain, tiredness, um, emotional dynamics, psychodi- you know, emotional material that hasn't really been um, worked with. Um, resonances from our daily life, um, stress, anxiety, all of that is within the field of what gets met. But then how I think everything Kitty Sarah was saying, the issue really is how can we meet that in an optimum way rather than then going into a struggle or judging or feeling shouldn't be there. So, um, you know, this practice of just bringing... That's why the body is very helpful. So to go sometimes beneath the presenting narrative, going into where is it felt in the body as constriction or you know just to be able to bring some awareness there and breathe there begins to in a way have quite a powerful alchemical shift that starts to happen energetically releasing helping to release out of some of the cognitive narratives that just spiral and also starts to um, soothe some of the emotional pain and decongest it deconstruct it but, you know, as Kirisara says, it's quite patient work often. You know, one learns to tolerate and um, create a more skillful relationship with what, is, with what we find challenging. 
and um, you know over time um, get get that process becomes more fluid and is less of a build up and one's used to um, things work through more quickly and if they don't some of these very deeper sankharas or patternings then that is our work you know just to explore that and keep working with those territories no, it's not always so much about the state changing, but also what is learnt in the process, what is developed in the process. Yeah. More skill, wisdom, patience, flexibility, um, capacity for inquiry. So thank you for thank bringing it. Thank you both very much. I think um, it is some pretty deep stuff. and that, um, you know, judging, having resistance and then judging it mm. is not really very helpful. So I appreciate yeah. well, it. It's natural, yeah. but you're right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Just to, not to beat a dead horse, but to follow up on that. When strong emotions come up within me, it's what immediately triggers is the the thoughts and the storylines and the things that drive the fear or whatever even deeper. So you were suggesting, so what I tend to do is just want to suppress it and then go back to focusing on breathing or focusing on something, but you're suggesting something a little different, which is to be with it but try to feel it physically versus let my head take over. I'm well, there are different ways. I mean, there are different ways. Skillfully removing attention back to the primary focus of your meditation is one skillful strategy. Like, so you gather some, you know, some samadhi, some gatheredness, um, some continuity of mindfulness, and that kind of mind turned to a construct of emotional dynamic has more power to it and more clarity and can investigate, has some strength to investigate. But that doesn't always happen. That's the theory. Like sometimes stuff just overwhelms and we haven't... And then that moving back is often mixed with aversion and struggle. So at that point, then it's probably best just to put up a white flag and say, okay, you know, the, the practice has then changed at that moment. The practice then moves to like, let me just open to this state with as much capacity as I have in this, you know, way of being. And then there are different ways of investigating the way that I was talking about is, 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 is not through resisting it, but being interested. And then being interested, where does this feel in the body? You know, and then take, take awareness there, breathe there. And then being interested in some of the cognitive frames. You know, how, how they sort of we clinch around something and there's a patterning around that or a, a, a kind of narrative or... And some of that's pretty unconscious, so we find ourselves doing this movement and it's like painful, and then we realize it's, you know, this is just thinking. You could just say, say naming, this is thinking, and it starts to deconstruct that automatic being shaped into that storyline and gives some space. So these are ways of just beginning to bring some space and inquiry into what becomes what is otherwise a, a source of constriction and struggle. It's really the balance between the, the samatha and the calming and the inquiry, the vipassana, yeah. That's the territory. Mm, that's the territory. Yeah. And if what the Buddha says is true, even right in the midst of a really difficult state, you know, the Buddha taught that the essence of that very state is unbounded 
freedom that is not somewhere else. He didn't say, oh, you have to get rid of this day. So a good question is, uh, you know, well, where's peace now? Even right in the storm. Or we could say, who's upset? See, when awareness is focused on that object and it seems like me, that state, we don't notice that that is happening within this boundless listening radiance, which is our nature. So even the quiet question, who? Who's upset? The awareness for a moment takes its attention off the object and turns back. Whatever answer the mind gives will just be another thought, but it, you know, like I was joking, but it, the mind does it. Well, me, Dumbo, this is a big problem. But if we can hear that voice that so much is me, hear it come and go, even a moment of hearing the changes, there's a possibility of getting a feeling that this state is a guest. It's something that's moving. And even that's not wasted, even a moment of recognizing from me to its estate. And even if we have aversion upon aversion upon aversion and aversion that we have the aversion, and why do we have the aversion? When I know better, I've heard enough Dhamma talks, I cannot believe I am such a slow learner. I mean, this is just ridiculous. I mean, everybody has Buddha nature but me. It, it, and even that, if we can just still even just honor that as changing, then there's a sense of starting to get that feeling for the lis- listening that remains. You know, so all these are, are ways of encouraging to, uh, to note it or to notice how it reflects in the body as a way of encouraging us to shift our perspective a little. And, you know, if we can breathe out and relax, that's wonderful. But as Tanisha says, you know, sometimes it's just too strong. So then we just, we notice the storm. But even then, you know, when it's important if we imagine it's only, I can only get to insight when I've gotten <coughs> rid of this state, then it subsides and we think, whoopee, I'm done, oh, this is, yes. You know, and then we attach to the, some pleasant state. And then when that changes, there's the sense of, Upset, so we, we, we learn to get this feeling of things that come and go, and even, you know, you know honor the difficult stuff too. So I think we're going to take a break for some lunch. We have more time later this afternoon. Thank you for those really, actually, pretty much questions that pretty much are um, territories that we all work with. So um, so um, we'll meet back at quarter past two, and then this afternoon we'll continue with some practice, as we've been doing, but also um, explore some of the territory of um, cultivating, bringing this into community, developing community. It's one of the important aspects of... Um, of uh, supporting our Dharma practice. I'd like to um, use some exercises to explore that territory. Hope that you can come back and and join us. It's one thing to do the internal work and then the other dimension is how do then we bring this into relationship and into cultivating as is called beloved community. It's a beautiful expression. So hopefully um, we can continue with this this afternoon um, building on what we've been doing this morning. Okay, so enjoy your lunch, and I'll see you later.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.